The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. Good morning. So thrilled to be here with you on this Thursday morning. Uh, we've got a big, big show for you. So excited to be here with you. Want to remind you that this entire show is meant to be interactive. We hope that you'll participate with us. Let us know your thoughts, your feelings, your concerns, your questions, because we look at autism from a 365 degree perspective. And I'm so excited that this morning we've got two really incredible experts that are going to be with us and they're going to be answering your questions. I know you guys have been writing in. We've had a big, big week here uh, this week. And if you didn't get a chance to see Ed Asner with us on Tuesday, I want you at least there's one minute and we've got it up on YouTube right now and it's on Facebook and it's on Pinterest. One incredible minute when he gives a masterclass on parenting and it's advice to autism dads, but really it's advice to all autism parents, and quite honestly, it's advice to all parents all around the world. One minute, worth your time, so worth your time. But uh, unfortunately, when we made time for Ed to be here, that meant that we didn't get to some of your questions, but I promised you that today was the day and we are gonna get through a lot, if not all of the questions that you guys have been sending and we're gonna work really hard on that. So I remind you to please participate with us. There are many different ways to participate. Emily's gonna show you some of the different ways that you can and that you can watch the show. I'll remind you that our homepage is autism hyphenlive.com. When you go there, there's lots to do, including checking out our blog. But we, and we also, by the way, encourage you to sign up for our free newsletter, which is going to give you information about things coming up, insider views as to things that have happened. You're going to want to see some of the pictures that we haven't posted when Ed and Matt Asner were here. And some of the things when uh, Susan Campbell Cross was here yesterday, giving lifestyle advice, all of those things uh, are available in the newsletter, including some of the recipes we talked about yesterday. But also, we've got some ways to be saving you some money that are, are coming through the newsletter. So do sign up for the free newsletter. But when you go to that homepage, of course, one of the best things that you can do is be watching the show. There's a desk, and on the desk, it's a computer. If you click on the triangle on the computer, you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show. If you go up to the corner of that screen, there's a little playlist icon. You can go there and scroll through all of the episodes that we've done to see if there's a day that you missed that you want to catch up on or a guest that you want to miss. To the side, though, that's where the interactive part comes in. There are a couple of white boxes there. 
there. If you put your cursor in the box that says your question and you start typing, hit enter, it will show up here on my screen and I can be asking our experts your questions in pretty much real time. There's about a minute, minute and a half lag to it, but that's, that's pretty close, right? Totally free. There is no login. Nobody is asking for your personal information. In fact, we don't even know who you are or where you are. So it helps us when you're asking questions to give us an idea of where in the world you are. I wish it weren't the case, but as it is in this moment in time, where you are plays a big role as to what resources are available to you. We keep trying to level the playing field, but until we can, where you live will give you access to some things and not to other things. So if you let us know where you are and be as specific in what you want to ask as possible, do know that none of our experts can give you individual specific advice, but they can give you great places to start. They can give you great insights. So we encourage you to participate. And by the way, if you're watching a recorded show and you write in a question, also be as specific as possible about what it was that was being discussed so I know which segment that you want to know more about. All right. And at the start of the show, I always like to remind you guys that I have lots of experts that will come in here and sit next to me in this room and that we have on the show via Skype, but I'm not one of those experts. I'm a parent. So, and a former teacher, I'm somebody who feels very passionately about this subject because I have a son, my one and only child, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And every day I learn, I'm, I'm going to get emotional already. Every day I learn how lucky I am. And I'll tell you why, because I got information when I needed it and where I needed it. And that made all the difference for us. And I want you to know that every day we're here, we try to pay that forward. And we want to help you to be that lucky. There are resources and there are all kinds of resources. And now more and more are being available, made available all over the world. So really what I want to do is hook you up to those resources. I want to help you to be as lucky as I was and am because my son now, and he was nonverbal and he was engaging in self-injurious behavior and now he is 11 years old and he will be in sixth grade in the fall completely included very uh typical peers and is going to have the life that I wanted for him always and the life that he wants for himself without obstacles. He is his own unique little soul and I wouldn't trade that or him being unique for anything, right? But it's all about removing those obstacles to let them be who they are without obstacles. Progress. We can all be making progress no matter what age we're talking about no matter what ability, we can all be making progress. So we welcome you here, whether you're a parent, a teacher, practitioner, or you yourself are on the autism spectrum. We hope that we can serve you and connect you to things that will help you on this journey. Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little later on because last weekend we went to Stephanie's day and really it was life changing for me. A couple of things settled in with me uh, and I saw clearly we've got a lot more work to do. Uh, lots of great things happening, but there were so many families who uh, need 
help and need it now. So thrilled to be here, thrilled to have some amazing experts that are going to get us on that path to the progress today. Okay. At the start of every show, we like to start off with something that we fondly refer to as jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to give you an actual definition and then we give you a working definition because sometimes it's just too overwhelming. Sometimes that actual definition has so many jargon terms in it that it makes you want to run through the streets with your hair on fire, right? Been there, done that. Uh, and we know we got to make friends with these terms because if we don't, we're wasting time, we're wasting energy, and we're wasting money, that's for sure. So making friends with these terms, just like we teach our kids, we teach a skill a little bit at a time. So uh, our, our term for today, uh, we've been talking about so, sort of uh, the same realm of uh, different things this week. So our term today is inhibition. Okay. Now, this is a perfect example of why we do this, because I don't know about you, the first time that somebody started talking to me about inhibition with my child, I thought that they were talking about, we go to connotation, right? I thought they were talking about the fact that my child sometimes would have no inhibition and he would take off his clothes in public when he was fairly young and embarrass everyone and have me running after him uh, to get clothes back on him, okay? Because we think of, about inhibition and people who are uninhibited and think of them in those terms. Well, it's slightly different in autism. What we're talking about uh, is a little bit more honed and when we understand what we're talking about with inhibition, it can be something that we use greatly to our advantage. So let's take a look at what our actual definition is for inhibition. A conscious or unconscious constraint or curtailment of a process or behavior, especially of impulses or desires. Okay, so it's somewhere in the neighborhood of that, you know, taken off the clothes, but it actually applies to so many more things. So let's take a look at our working definition now of inhibition, stopping a behavior from happening. This could be refusing to pay attention to something or preventing oneself from saying or doing something. So again, it still can apply to the taking off the clothes, but let's apply it to a bunch of other things. What about the person who is has great executive function skills and can plan for a goal and is, is ready to go do something, but they allow themselves to be interrupted and taken off course by a phone call or a text or a program on a TV or a computer screen, right? Uh, when was the last time that you were late to something and you were standing there going, why did I take that phone call? It was because we didn't inhibit our response to the phone ringing. And once we do, if we say to our, if we take a value judgment in the moment and say, hey, I have a goal, and my goal is to get to this conference and I want to be on time to the conference, and the phone rings, we stand there for a second and we think, okay, I can answer that phone or I can be on time to the conference. And if we actually take a second to think through that and make a conscious decision, sometimes it does mean answering the phone call, right? And a lot of times it means leaving without answering the phone call and letting it go to voicemail. Usually we want to look at the caller ID, thank heavens for caller ID now, to see who it is, uh, to be able to make that value judgment. But think about all the different things that our kids have to be able to inhibit their response to in order to be successful in school. 
Now we're really getting into the area of sensory issues, right? When you and I are in a room, if we are somewhat neurotypical, because you know I don't believe in what is normal and what is neurotypical, um, but if we're if we're pretty functional in society today, we already have the ability to inhibit a lot of things. Uh, I think no one can inhibit everything. But when you think about it, all the noises that are happening where you are right now, the air conditioner just kicked on in the studio. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I notice that, but I can stay focused with you about what we're talking about. For our kids on the autism spectrum, especially if they have a lot of sensory issues, that's really hard. And they don't have skills to be able to help themselves to push that to the side. It's almost as though in our lives we figured out what the weight of different things is that, you know, maybe a light flickers here or somebody drops a paperclip over there and our brain processes and goes, that's not as important as what I'm doing right now. However, for our kids on the spectrum, sometimes those values, they could be all the same. So the paperclip is the same exact weight as a fire alarm. Or it could be that just a certain sound has even more than a paperclip. Think about nails on a chalkboard, how hard it would be up for us to inhibit our response to nails on a chalkboard. It could be that there are all kinds of sensory issues for our kids that it force them to get, want to pay attention to that. So uh, we're going to be talking with some experts today about how we work on these kinds of things because the truth is that we can strengthen anybody's ability ability to inhibit a response to something. How exciting is that? It's pretty cool, right? Think about if you could get your child to process for themselves, to think through, should I say that? Should I not say that? Should I pay attention to that? Should I, you know, push that to a place in my mind where it doesn't take as much space? I always think about when we started working on inhibition with my child, we were in a grocery store and it was right around Thanksgiving and we had a lot of different things. The gentleman who was in front of us in the line at the checkout had the most amazing nose you have ever seen in your entire life. I mean, it was epic. It made Jimmy Durante look like somebody who, you know, was just really normal. It was remarkable, right? And so there I am with my four and a half year old, you know, now gaining all kinds of ver verbal skills and learning about features and all these things. We just barely started on inhibition and he looked up and he went, wow, look at his nose. Oh, right. Uh, and, you know, and I'm going, uh, uh, uh. but we had a whole discussion <laughs> about how important it is sometimes to not say everything that comes to your mind. Uh, and now he will, he's so good at this now. Uh, he will, he will wait till we get to the car and he'll say, did you see that? Did you see that? And sometimes he'll just poke me. He'll poke me and, and point a finger and say, did you see that? Did you see that? It's more socially acceptable, right? Uh, he's still noticing it, right? He still attends to it, but he's inhibiting his response to just blurt it out and make that person feel bad. That requires some perspective taking and a lot of inhibition. So 
uh, a really, really great skill. Uh, and we'll be talking more about that as the day goes on. But first, we want to let you know what our question of the day is. You know, we always like to ask you guys a question and have you answer it on Facebook. We love it when you participate with us. And I'll be honest with you, I love it even more when you participate with each other. I love when somebody writes in and some uh, someone else will give them a resource or give them that appreciation that they need for the day and make them feel good about what they're doing. It's a lovely thing when, when we get an opportunity to do that for other people. It's paying it forward. So our question today is what do you wish that you could get your child to focus on? I know it's kind of the reverse, right? When we're inhibiting our response to something, uh, it's because there's something else we want them to focus on, right? So what is it that you wish you could get your child to focus on? I know my son is great at focusing on anything that has a screen. If I have discovered, oh, this is so sad and you'll judge me as a parent, go ahead. Um, but I have discovered that sometimes the best way for me to get his attention is to text him. I know he is 11, uh, but I hear from my friends who have neurotypical teens that they are starting to do that too. If you really got to get their attention, you don't want to have a big argument, I just give him a little text and he's right there. I got his attention immediately. We are going to work on other things as well, but sometimes you have to know what works right out the gate, right? <laughs> so what do you wish your child would pay attention to? Uh, and we'll hopefully have a chance to look in later on on Facebook to see some of the things that you guys have written in on. All right, we always have a topic of the week. And can you guess what today, what today's topic and this week's topic is? We are talking all this week on what do we pay attention to? And this is not just what do our kids pay attention to, it's really what we all pay attention to. What are you paying attention to? Uh, I know that sometimes we've all got a beef, right? We've all got a beef. We've got some place where somebody has already done our children wrong or done us wrong, and we have some anger and some frustration about it. And sometimes we have to pay attention to that. We have to process it. We have to move forward on it. Sometimes we have to take action on it, right? But we can get stuck too in that place of this is wrong, you know, somebody somebody did me wrong. I am I very much <laughs> the queen of that. This is this is wrong. This shouldn't have happened, right? But is that really what we want to focus on? Because there's so much good going on. I love when we have Evelyn Gould here with us talking about acceptance, commitment, uh training and therapy because it reminds us to look at the whole picture. There might be something really not acceptable that's happening, right? Something, you know, maybe somebody has done your child wrong. I, I think immediately to the mom who wrote to us a couple of weeks ago about her child being turned down by a school because they found out that he had an autism spectrum diagnosis. Now that's really wrong. That's really not acceptable. But I loved that she was able to say, you know, this is not acceptable and this is what I'm going to do about it, but here's all the really great things going on in his life. He's got, and, and honestly, this means he's going to go to a better school because it's going to be a school where they want to work with him, where they cherish his differences, you know, and it's that kind of thinking. And if we process it and say, okay, what do I want to pay attention to here? There's many things on my plate. What am I going to give the most focus to? We want to get a, a little bit of focus to everything, right? And we don't want to just poo-poo the bad stuff. But being able to see it in the context of everything can be really helpful. As 
as can paying attention to something and putting some heat and focus on something because it's a goal that you want to achieve. We're talking about summer goals all this summer, things we want to achieve with our kids. And if we pay attention to that, then we're more likely to see progress. So if attention and focus is what you want to work on with your child, and that's really what you put your focus on over the next few weeks, you're going to see progress. You're just going to see, and you're going to see more progress because you've put that heat there. So what are we paying attention to? It's a really important way to look at things. All right. So some of the exciting things that we have going on in the next uh, two hours here with you on the show, we've got some really wonderful guests. We have real progress with Dr. Adele Nadowski. She's going to be here with us and we're going to be talking about attention and how we teach these skills. And she's also going to be answering some of the questions that you guys have been writing in. We've got some autism news and in particular, we're going to share something with you today uh, that we hope that you'll appreciate focusing and letting you know what the mission is of Autism Live. Because as I said, when I was at Stephanie's Day, it just really reminded about me about why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. So we're going to show you a short video about that. And then Science Beat with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. So thrilled to welcome him back to the show this week. That and ever so much more, including answering your questions. So stick with us. Hello, activists. I've been sharing with you my 10 steps of empowerment for parents of children with autism. Now I'd like to share with you something that I read when my spirits get down from time to time. It's called Anyway. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. When you spend years building, it may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you've got, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. That's not from some self-help guru. That's from a sign hanging on the wall of the children's home in Calcutta, where Mother Teresa ministered to the poorest of the poor. I'd like to say that the world of autism can be a very challenging and daunting one. But do the best you can to live in it and love in it to the fullest. Live it anyway. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're going to be joined by Dr. Del Nadowski in just a couple of minutes, but I want to take a quick second to look at a couple of things that you guys have already been writing in on. What do you wish you could get your child to focus on? Um, it's coming up on my iPad. I don't, it's like we have gremlins today. It's very exciting. Uh, okay, so what do you wish that they could focus on? Already we've had two people write in on very similar things, speech and functional communication. 
what wonderful things to focus on this summer. And uh, I, I want to reiterate that there are so many different ways in which you can work on things. We had Susan Campbell Cross with us yesterday talking about summer fun. And I think we get into a headspace sometimes about thinking, well, we're either going to work or we're going to do things that are fun. And we, we need to think outside the box and figure out how we're going to put those two things together, how we can have fun. Because quite honestly, rule number one is that the only time that we or anyone, including a child on the autism spectrum, will do something again and again and again is if there's some sort of reward, there's some sort of paycheck. So, you know, the first question that I want to ask you guys is what's their favorite thing? What is their favorite thing to do? For so many of our kids, they love the pool. They love the water. They love splashing around the water. They love the sensory feel of the weight uh, against their skin. It feels good in the summertime. And I think, you know, there's a really relaxing element to water. Now, that's not all of our kids. But if, for example, your child loves to be in the pool, this is a great place to work on communication. Uh, if you uh, are using technology, of course, not the best place to <laughs> work on communication. But if you're doing even sign or trying to get sound, there was uh, at Stephanie's Day, speaking of which, uh, the other day, there was a lovely young man who is just starting to vocalize. And it was fascinating because everybody was trying to get him to speak or do whatever. And then there were some bubbles that floated by. And, uh, and he and I were having a moment and he said bubbles in like 30 seconds. And please, I, you know, I'm, I'm just a mom. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a trained therapist, but there was a bubble and he wanted the bubble. So he was saying, buh, and then he was saying bubble. So find what your kids are really, really super into and use that as a way to have fun and to reinforce the work that you're doing. And, you know, I also always encourage you to check out skills. You can do a free 14 day trial on it, but it will give you all of the lessons, I think it's really hard, even as a former teacher, to try to figure out what am I teaching and in what order. Skills gives it all to you, and it's very child-specific because you assess for your child. Um, but functional communication and developing speech, I, is there anything more important? I can't think of anything more important. But remember to make it fun. Remember to reward them and to be keep, you know, moving the goalpost a little bit further away as you're rewarding them. Uh, and I hope you guys will continue to write in about what do you want your child to focus on. But honestly, anything that we want them to focus on, we have to start by making it reinforcing for them. And we can do that. That's doable. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be back with Dr. Adele Nadowski for Real Progress with Dr. Adele. Stick with us. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Smarty. Today, I have a special guest with me. What the heck? She's missing. Here I am. And what's your name? Mackenzie. And what are we doing today? Making sidewalks. And how do we do that? I have no idea. So the materials we'll be needing are two cups of cornstarch, one cup of cold water, four and a half cups of boiling water. Be careful. A mixing bowl, a spoon. Bye. 
is we're gonna take our two cups of cornstarch and put it in the big bowl. Yeah. Can you do that for me? Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. It's all right, I'll help you. Step two, you're gonna put the cold water into the bowl. Cold water into the bowl. Good job. Step three, we're gonna stir it with a big spoon. You're gonna keep stirring it until it's all the way mixed together. So the next step is adding the boiling water. That's a little dangerous for her, so I'll be doing it myself, one cup at a time, stirring it together. You gonna keep an eye on me? Yeah. So once we're done stirring the cornstarch water, we're gonna start making our dyed paint. So yeah. what are we gonna do? We're gonna put in the dye. Okay. And we're gonna put in the sparkles. All right, let's do it. Move this out of the way. All right, it's all you, Mackenzie. So the more food color we use, the brighter it's gonna be. Ooh. So let's put the sparkles in. Now we're gonna put the cornstarch in the jar. All right, do you wanna stir that up? It looks pretty. We're gonna make a few more colors and we're gonna go pants. See all the colors in the sky tonight. Are you excited? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Love is the truest state of mind. Can you see me? Can you see me? Can you see me flying by your side? Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The skills assessment and curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword find specific activities to assess, and add activities to treatment. Step three, choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step four, start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. 
You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The Skills Language curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tax, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here. Welcome back to Autism Live and to this segment, which we call Real Progress with Dr. Adele. Dr. Adele Nadowski is here with us. She is an amazing expert in the field of autism. Has You were one of the co-creators of Skills, and you've spent quite a bit of time working with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. She really is instrumental in helping us all to get to that progress that we so richly want and that our kids so richly deserve. So thank you for being here. Yeah, it feels like it's been a really long time. It has been a while, so we're thrilled that you're back. We want to start by talking about attention and how we teach attention. It seems like such a, a weird, like how do you teach someone to pay attention? But we can, right? Yeah. Um, I think like anything else, it's just broken down into individual skills and um, kind of understanding how they progress in typical child development. So at a very young age, um, even babies, their first um, signs of attention is um, orienting to, th to things that enter their environment. So um, orienting with an eye gaze, just attending at it. Um, whether this be, you know, someone walks in the room or there's a big loud noise or something, they'll move their head in the direction to attend toward the sound. So some kids that we work with don't even do that kind of stuff. Um, I've heard stories of parents who had to bang pots and pans and their child just never looked up yeah. from what they were doing. So that would be one of the first things that um, could be focused on. And then from there, learn and maybe keeping it sterile initially so there's nothing really cool and exciting that they're participating in at the moment so mm -hmm. it doesn't make it more difficult to remove attention from that to something okay. else. So uh, once they can do that pretty well, then moving to the next step, which is, okay, now they're doing something preferred and we're gonna do the same thing, and we can see we can get them to disengage from okay. what they're doing here and move their attention to something else. So that's the next skill, disengaging from yeah. one thing to another. Okay. And your orienting to the, um, the sound, person, object, whatever it may be. And then um, learning to shift your attention back and forth between things is important. Which we um, all need to learn how to work on. Yeah, how often are we seeing people walking through the store texting and walk into something? <laughs> I've seen that twice this week, right? <laughs> you know, being oh able to gosh. shift your attention back and forth from those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so like for example, if let's say a child's in a class and they are working on some handwriting tracing letters, let's say, and then all of a sudden on the loudspeaker the principal starts speaking, they should be able to disengage and attend and listen. But then what sometimes can happen is they get stuck and they don't get back on task. So Ooh. shifting back wow. um, is sometimes a problem where people forget what they were doing or getting back on task is difficult. Yeah. Um, and being able to do that multiple times, multiple shifts, having a conversation with someone and then you hear like your name in the background, you might stop, look over, attend, maybe realize it's no big deal and continue your conversation or you might 
like tell the person you're speaking to, wait one just second and do something and then you, but you come back and you finish, you know, so that kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, sustaining attention. So kids have to go to school and they have to sit in uh, circle time activities for sometimes 20 minutes. Yeah. And that's very difficult sometimes for our kids and they can maybe only last, you know, three or four minutes. And so that's what we'll do. We'll start with their baseline level. If they can only do three minutes, then we'll do three and a half is the goal and we'll provide a reinforcer. Um, and then we'll slowly increase the time and we can get the sustained attention that way. And that can be done also, you can make it more fun by doing play stations and having them move from one station to the next while they're working on play skills, which is a whole other um, helpful thing or motor skills or whatever it may be, even academics if they're tracing or whatever, but learning to attend for certain lengths and then learning to shift. So they're both learning to attend for like sustaining periods, but also to shift from one thing to the next. Yeah. Um, these are important attention. skills for children because it sets them up for success. But let's be honest, these are important <laughs> skills for adults and for everyone yeah. on or off the spectrum. It can make the difference of whether you're successful or not, because being able to attend to things that are important to you and shift your focus back and forth to things. I mean, yeah. these are incredible skills yeah. and it starts quite young. Yeah. So the good or a good idea is to go and observe um, peers or whatever, or uh, in the classroom and see what everybody else can do for sitting in a circle time or something. And that would be the goal. It's always important not to have your goals to be like too lofty or something that's really unrealistic. You know, yeah. you want to go with what are like typically developing same age peers able to do and stuff. Um, I know as an adult, I can sit and attend for hours at my computer and write things and read things, but. Um, when we're when they're young, you know, it's going to be just a few minutes initially and maybe getting up to like 20 minutes, even when they're in school, like doing their homework, you know, right. they might be only able to do it for 20 minutes and then they need a break. You know? And I think that's an important point too, because I see a lot of times in IEPs that even in preschool and in kindergarten, uh, we're getting people who are people at the school level writing in a goal for an IEP that a kindergartner should be able to sit for a half an hour and attend to a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as a parent, you know, we can go and look at the peers, but we don't always know, you know, what's appropriate. Yeah. But I was saying before that skills is a really good um, a tool to use for these kinds of things because it helps you to identify what's age appropriate and skill appropriate for an individual yeah. child. I know we have a sustaining attention lesson in there and I know it has some ages mm -hmm. and unfortunately I don't remember exactly what age it is. Um, but we have the resource to be able to look yeah. it up. It's like the encyclopedia. Yeah. We don't expect anybody to have memorized everything in there but the fact that it's there and you can go in and and when you get a goal from the school you after you've done the assessment for your child you can go in and go is is this appropriate yeah. for my child in this year? Because a lot of times it's, I mean, 30 minutes for yeah. a kindergartner. I used to teach college. Sometimes college students struggle with 30 minutes. So I was working with a child and um, basically this child needed to go like on a field trip kind of thing to the library, the public library, the whole school was going, there was going to be a show. It was an entertaining show, but not for this child. Mm -hmm. And um, so really he's getting nothing out of it except just learning to sustain his attention and sit still and not freak out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so basically, you know, the goal was to be able to sit there for three to five minutes and then he can take a break. Um, but also allowing him the opportunity to request a break if he can't make it that long. Yeah. So that he doesn't engage in any, you know, major tantrum behavior or other things like that. So.
And then we'll just keep increasing the amount of time that we can get them to do things. And I think this is the value in this kind of discussion because I don't know about everybody else out there, but I would never think about all the different ways that there are to pay attention. Uh, and I would never think about the disengagement and the shifting focus. I, I just, that wouldn't occur to me, right? Yeah. Because it seems to happen organically, yeah. except when it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so having the lessons that are there that breaks it down for you and the way to teach them and to keep moving the goalpost yeah. a little bit further away and reinforcing it, powerful, powerful stuff. We shouldn't just assume that our kids are going to get better at attention, should we? No, not necessarily. I mean, some kids don't really need that intervention, so mm -hmm. you can kind of ignore that part if you don't see a problem with it. It's not like because it's in the curriculum, you must teach it. I right. don't like to make people think that every single thing in skills is something they have to work on. Yeah, you could never. You kind of just do it if you think that it's a deficit area. Um, but I do want to mention another area too is okay. divided attention, which is basically multitasking. And so um, I don't really think people truly can do two things at once sometimes, you know, like it's, it's so hard. So it's just very adept at shifting. I think it's very quick shifting. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, you either way like um, an example of an exercise early on that we might do is present you know like two things at once and uh, then remove them and then ask them immediately what 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 did you just see or okay. what did you hear and see like maybe present an auditory and a visual at the same time like think yeah. about when you watch a lecture you see someone talking you're supposed to be listening to the auditory and then they'll have slides up too or right. like something going on that you're attending to some people have a hard time they tune out the auditory when they're re looking at the visual or vice versa yeah um, which is one reason why they say don't put too many words on your slides and things like that maybe just have a visual instead so they can really focus on the words and stuff but um, yeah so really and, and just remembering that when we're getting them to attend to different things it's all different kinds of stimuli so it's auditory it's visual it's text you know it's um, making sure that you're getting in all of those different things. Yeah. Now you mentioned that all of our kids don't need this and I was as you were talking I was thinking about that there are times when our kids are very good at attending at some things but it's that disengagement we need to work on of that preferred thing. I was talking before about uh, my son you put a screen up and he <laughs> and he can stay attached to that forever and now if I want to disengage him from it I, one of the things I'm making fun of myself but it's true one of the ways I've found to disengage him is that I send him a text because he'll attend to that. <laughs> Isn't that sad? It's the sad state of affairs. But I hear from my friends who have teenagers that I'm, I'm right in the normal groove right there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's typical tween and teen behavior. But, you know, I want to work on disengaging him without sending him another screen thing, yeah. you know, and I can, right? That this is another, for our kids who are really super focused on something, we, we can find ways to disengage them from that and strengthen yeah. that muscle. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so important, important And then stuff. it's important too that you make sure that um, they learn to attend to both non-social as well, well as social things because oh, some kids, um, they don't really notice people that come into their environment or someone in the background goes, ouch! Most people would look and attend and say like, look to see if you're okay or if something's, you know, in danger or whatever. Yeah. Um, some kids are totally like object centered and so if something happened like with an object they would totally attend but they wouldn't necessarily do social or vice versa. So remembering to do that as well. Absolutely. So important. And then of course there comes a point where we have to teach them what's important to attend to because yes. we don't want them over attending to everything. Right. 
So there are certain things that you know you just kind of ignore in the background, like the drip from the faucet that you can't get rid of. Our jargon today, <laughs> our jargon today was inhibition. So this is right in the neighborhood of because I, I remember you are sort of the queen of EF executive functions, and I remember you teaching me about all the different things that we have to have to do and uh, inhibit our response to in order to achieve our goals. Yeah. Um, and and how difficult it is for our kids sometimes because all of that is going on, the tick of the clock in the classroom while they're taking the test, they have to be yeah. able to say that's not as important as the paper. Yeah, exactly. Really, really big stuff. I mean, when you guys think about it, all the places that we're trying to get to with our kids, and we talk about sensory as if it's this thing that's far away that we can never quite get our hands on. But when we give these tools about how to focus on something and strengthen that skill, and then teach them that, you know, some things are more important than it, we really give yeah. them the keys to the kingdom when we do this. Yeah. So Definitely. It's big, big stuff. And there are lots of different ways to work on it, but you've got an, an amazing set yeah. of lessons in skills uh, that can lead you down the pathway of connecting these things together. I think that last thing I just mentioned about um, determining what's actually important to attend to is a whole additional conversation. Is that saliency? Yeah, determining saliency, yeah. Okay. Because I'm finding that a lot in kids that they're attending kind of the wrong things. Okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in conversation and their environments afterwards, you ask them what happened and stuff. Yeah. Instead of saying like the main point or the summary of what really was the highlights or whatever, they like remember something kind of random like, oh yeah, that girl had a pink shirt or something. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We had a moment like that the other day with, with Jem where he was describing something to me and he said, oh, you know, the guy that had the pink notebook. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I have no idea who had a pink. He goes, you know, the guy who had the pink notebook. And I said, you got to help me out. Like, where That's actually were a we? better example because a pink shirt is probably a normal thing you would remember maybe what someone's wearing. But yeah, like attending to the lost. shoelaces on someone or something. I, I you know, was instead totally of, lost. Yeah. Where were we? You got to give me more information about what was going on. And then when he finally told me, I said, okay, here's what would have been a good thing for mom to be, have been able to know. And then my husband said, yeah, but here's what would been better for me to know so it requires some perspective taking too <laughs> yeah. but but so the lesson you were just talking about though comes under the heading of saliency so which curriculum is that that's in? still in the executive functions curriculum okay. it's in the attention domain it's considered one of the attention lessons and it's okay. called determining saliency and it teaches um, kids to identify what's important in their environments for attention and um, it starts by like showing pictures of things, scenes, and asking them what's the most important thing in here, and we teach them kind of like uh, proximity, something that's closer and bigger versus something in the background is more important, um, something in the center is more important, you know. But then the social things, yeah. those are also things that they have to, yeah. uh, because a lot of times our kids miss that, there's yeah. something social that's happening that's important. Yeah. By the way, it's not just our kids that miss it sometimes too. I can go someplace with my husband and my child and I can say, oh, did you see that she was really mad at him? And my husband will go, what are you talking about? And I go, oh, you didn't see the look she gave him? My husband totally missed it. My son missed it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I think different people attend to different things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but really, really incredible, this set of lessons. So all of that is in executive functions mm -hmm. in the attention domain. Yeah. And you can check that out. You, you can try a free 14-day trial of skills if you want to um, and, and look at those lessons in there. But they're really quite amazing. Uh, and, and they're not, you know, read through it for yourself, too. <laughs> it really, I, you know, when we oh. first... 
when we first right. had this conversation about, yeah. I, you know, I was somebody who was chronically late to a lot of things. <laughs> and now I'm still late sometimes, but there are times when I'm not late because I think it through and go, wait, is this more important or is this more important? Yeah. Um, and I got that from Dr. Adele and from Skills. So use it for yourself as well. It's really quite amazing. And for those of you who have teenagers, oh my gosh, do you need that executive functions <laughs> curriculum? And I don't care whether they're on the spectrum or not. You, all of our teenagers need that curriculum. It's, it's quite wonderful. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Nadowski is going to be answering some of the questions that you guys have written in through the week. So stick with us. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it. Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go. Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back to Autism Live and to this segment, which we call Real Progress with Dr. Adele. Dr. Adele Nadowski is here with us. I mentioned before, she was one of the co-creators of Skills, really a brilliant young expert in the field of autism, and uh, so wonderful to have her expertise here. You guys have been writing in questions throughout the week, and we wanted an opportunity to ask her some of your questions. So we're going to start with this one. A few days ago, my four-year-old son got accepted to an autism school and I'm happy about it because I asked for that uh, change since in the school he was in the classroom was really distracting to him. Even though I'm happy that he's gotten in this autism school that I really wanted badly um, because they're all ABA, I'm scared that being in school and doing ABA there and then coming home and doing ABA here is going to overwhelm him. He's going to start the summer program in school in July and then we have 18 hours of ABA approved by the insurance for the summer and then when school starts he'll have 10 hours of ABA at home since he'll be in school from approximately 9 to almost 3 o'clock. I feel really horrible for some reason now that I know he'll be pushed harder yet happy because I know the outcome is better for him. What do you guys think about it? He also loves letters and here at home for reinforcement when he is doing ABA he always works for letters. Is that okay? And thanks. Okay, so how old is he again? Four. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, I mean, 
First of all, I, I just want to send a hug to this mom that clearly you're just so on it and, and that that's amazing. And I, and I think that it's typical that we all want to protect them. Yeah. And, and what you're feeling, this sort of push-me-pull-you kind of thing, real typical. I think almost all of us can relate to that. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you're asking the question, <clears throat> and I, I can't wait to hear what Dr. Nadowski is going to say. Okay, well, um, he's very young. He's four years old. And um, from what the, there's even a study that was done, um, I think, Grampy Shea here at CARD is the first author on it, where they looked at the number of hours of ABA and um, age. And what they found was is that it didn't, um, you didn't learn, you, you, the, the kids continued to learn more based on the more hours they were getting. So basically, more hours equals learning more. And you have to imagine, um, I'm sure you've had your son tested at some point, and you kind of have an idea of where he's functioning right now um, in relation to where he should be for his age. But as he continues to move forward, he's just aging more and more, and that gap can get bigger and bigger. And so you have a window of period to basically try your best to get him caught up as much as you can with all of his skills so that maybe he could go into um, a kindergarten classroom um, with less support or something like that. So you're trying to work as hard as you can to catch up, basically. So as much ABA as you can get him is, is best. And um, I would not worry about that it's too much. Uh, there's been lots of research showing that 30 to 40 hours a week um, is ideal and that the kids who get that actually have the best outcomes and the best chances for catching up. So um, that shouldn't be a concern. And the other thing is, is if you're worried and thinking that ABA is just sitting down with him and drilling and practicing with him and making his life miserable and, um, you know, that kind of thing, then that's incorrect as well because that's not going to be the goal of ABA. At school, it's going to be set up in a way to where it's completely functional with his daily life there. So they're going to be eating lunch, they're going to have snack, they're going to do recesses, they're going to do art projects. All those things, they're going to use the principles of learning, uh, ABA principles, to make it the best environment for him possible to learn the most that he can. They're not going to be just sitting there delivering instruction after instruction and drilling him. In the home, they might be doing a lot more rapid instruction delivery, but again, it should be fun for him. They should have reinforcers. He should enjoy doing it for the most part. Um, if you don't find that and it seems like a miserable experience for him, then that's when you worry about your ABA provider not being high quality. I have seen some ABA therapists where they literally um, are with the child and the child has no idea that they're receiving therapy. They think they're playing. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what it should look like. Yeah. And they say to their moms and dads, like, you know, so-and-so is coming over. She's my best friend. I can't wait. You know, and they're looking forward to it and they're yeah. excited and they want to. And when you get, when the therapist gets there, they run up to them and they go into the room together or around the house too. So um, if you're seeing more of the opposite, then that's a concern. Yeah. When I think about Jem, uh, and it would have been right before he was four and there would be the knock at the door and he would run to the door and say, Pedo, Pedo, because he was so excited that it was going to be Peter at the door and that they were going to play and that they were going to have fun. Yeah. So that's, that's really what you're looking for is to yeah. make sure that there's that kind of enthusiasm and think about what do you love to do and how much could you do it, especially if you were getting to do that thing that you loved and somebody was doing it with you and telling you you were great at it. Yeah, that's like, true. Like that's how it should feel for your kid. Yeah. Um, now, granted, I, it sounds like you're just starting out, and so it's possible your son won't even sit down for more than one second and he is not used to having to 
take direction and follow it, maybe there's not a lot of follow through or whatever, and if that's the case, or if he's nonverbal or whatever, there will be some times in the beginning where they're going to try and build rapport with him and make him happy and everything else, but they are going to have to teach him some basic attending things like being able to sit down and do a task for a minute. Yeah. Um, and so there might be a little bit of tantrums and things like that, um, but they'll work through it and that won't last. It won't last. And and, on, and I'm glad you brought that up because I don't mean to make it sound like it's all hearts and flowers and roses. There were still days when my son got frustrated and cried. And and I, I think I've told the story before here on the show about him watching the A word and the little boy was crying and the mom was standing outside the door and, he's, and she was crying. And he said, why is she crying? <laughs> And I said, because she's the mom and she hears her son crying. I used to do that all the time. I would sit on the other side of the door when you were crying and I would cry too. And he said, mom, I was okay. I was just frustrated and it's okay to be frustrated, you know? And I thought, oh my gosh, if I had known that when he was three and four, that he was going to say that to me when he was eight and nine, how much easier would it have been? Because it's not easy. Let's yeah. not. But it's important that we let them go through that frustration to get to the good stuff right uh so in any case and then about her last question about he loves letters and, and is using them as a reinforcement that's fine I, I yeah anything that they love it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. That's fine. and uh so i think that's wonderful that that's what that's he really loves cool, yeah yeah i you know my son works for computer time i'm sure there are people who go to work and don't want to be on their computer and go ooh. but my son you know that's what he wants is to yeah. be on the computer and and the chance to get to program right uh truly wonderful so let us know how it goes and i think in uh, you know what i got from that is don't worry about doing too much aba but do worry about making sure that it's quality aba that is really what's a key there okay so one more question we're running out of time but somebody wrote in and said my daughter is high functioning her vocabulary is good but she only tacks on the ipad occasionally how do i get her to tact more especially in the natural environment so maybe we need to backtrack a little bit for people who are new to talk about what tacting is. Yeah, just noticing things in your environment and pointing them out to people. So it's a little different than labeling, right? Because I can label and go, you know, this is a mouse, this, these are clips, these are things. But when but when we're tacting, we're, we're pointing it out. Yeah, uh, it's more it's like for a, like an engagement with somebody. Yeah. So, and normally you don't just tact, oh, wall, door, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. That would be weird and people would look at right. you cross-eyed. So um, instead, tacting is more like when something interesting occurs, um, people notice it and they usually like point it out. Um, so it's like the kid who looks up and says, balloon, because they see the balloon floating by, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's also joint attention. It's sharing an experience with someone and you're both attending to it and everything else. But um, for the purpose of teaching, a lot of times people will just teach them to tact things in their environment that it's not that exciting. But the ultimate goal eventually is that they um, uh, tack things that are relevant. Um, so what you could do is you could set up situations where interesting things um, occur, enter the room, you know, someone wearing a wig or, you know. <laughs> it's when your house gets a little zany, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh. Um, or in the natural environment, there will be plenty of opportunities. I'm sure a cute dog will walk by or, you know, someone will honk a horn or whatever. Um, but uh, you mentioned that it's a daughter, right? Is high functioning? Uh, yes. Um, and she communicates on an iPad? It's what it sounds like, yes. Okay, but doesn't spontaneously do it all that much. So what you could do is um, you can start to fade, or you can start off with, like, using um, things like, ooh, did you hear that? Or things like that that would indicate for her to notice and then tact, and then you could fade that back to just kind of, like, 
uh, maybe a gesture like pointing in the direction or maybe just eye gaze and um, with an expectant look and like yeah. a pause like yeah. she's supposed to and then you know something like this so um, and then you just try to fade back the prompts that way and then if you get to the point you could also get her on a self-monitoring system I don't know if she can follow rules or not but you could say um, to her that um, she needs to label 10 things that she sees you know in her environment today and and then um, have her do a tally mark and when she reaches 10 she gets a reinforcer and then of course you'd want to fade that out as well um, but a lot of times that's where we end up going toward is once they understand how to tact and they can pretty much do it under the control of like instructions and expectant looks and things like that the next place to go is okay now try to do that and give them like a rule to try to do it and have them monitor it. It would seem to me that it's extra tough when you're communicating with assistive technology because there is an element of tacting that could be just pointing. Um, that you know drawing attention to something and so you know I think that when we notice something like the example of the balloon and the, and the child pointing at the balloon and saying balloon which ultimately would be you know where we would want to get with a pure tact but then having the device there because uh, if they're pointing to it it uh, is stopping the opportunity from doing it on the device so I would think that it would be extra hard that there would be yeah. an element of it that's just going to take more opportunities, more patience, yeah. um, because it sounds a little bit like they've got to have their focus in two places. If I'm pointing at the balloon, I'm looking at the balloon, and if I say balloon, all my attention is going in one direction. But if I'm looking at the balloon and then i got to push the balloon on the iPad, it takes an extra step. Yeah, and the other thing is, is that tacting doesn't really benefit the child in the sense, unless they're very motivated by social interaction, which mm -hmm. they might not be, so that kind of depends. It's not like when you're making a request and you um, use the iPad to say like that you would like to have some juice or something like that. That directly benefits yes. the child. They get something they want out of it. When something you know interesting, all of a sudden something crazy happens in the room, and normally someone would tack that. They the only thing they get out of tacting is your interaction with them, which for our kids isn't always automatically reinforcing. Right. So we have to so power pack to, it. We need to, yeah, we need to pair um, actual um, reinforcers that things are things that are reinforcing for them with that social interaction. Okay. And um, we got to make it worth their while. Yeah. And we're going to have initially, to, and yeah. then we fade, we thin, fade, fade it back, and all those kind of okay. things. Okay. Yeah. But worthwhile to do. It just will take probably some more energy and more opportunities. Yeah. Uh, really remarkable. We thank you so much for being here. Always, I learned oh, so much welcome. when you're here. Uh, and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, thrilling to have you here. And of course, next uh, Thursday we're not here for um, because it's Fourth of July break. So we'll see you the week after. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, wanted to take a second and. I mentioned the other day that we went to Stephanie's Day, a really remarkable event on the back lot of CBS named for Stephanie. Uh, we were here with our, our the fabulous, fabulous gentleman um, who talked to us about why this wonderful event happened uh, in his daughter's name on the back lot of CBS. And so many different resources that were there. We spent the day talking to families and it really brought home to me first of all how lucky I was to get good information and how lucky I was to get good quality ABA and to find a support group who supported me on that journey and it it reminded me of why we do this show 
And so we took the time this week to uh, film what I believe is our mission and what we're trying to accomplish and an invitation to all of you out there to take part in this mission with us. So take a look. This is our new mission statement. Hi. I'm Shannon Penrod, proud autism mom and the host of Autism Live. Autism Live is an interactive web show whose mission is to provide a free resource to the entire autism community and to the world at large. Whether you're watching our live shows on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, or you're catching up on our free podcasts on YouTube, iTunes, and Roku, we want to provide you with the support you need when you need it and to give you a little hope and inspiration along the way too. For the mom in Kansas whose child has just been diagnosed and she's preparing for her first IEP meeting, we want to provide you with helpful resources to make that meeting as productive and as stress-free as possible. For the 16-year-old in Bangor who writes to us and wants to know how do you get friends and keep them, we want to give you support and information to make that possible for you. For the teacher in Calgary who wants to know how do you get past the challenging behavior and help a child to be excited to learn, we want to give you access to tools and education to make that dream a reality. And for the dad in Wyoming whose daughter is engaging in self-injurious behavior, we want to get you access to experts who can help you to keep your daughter safe and to turn that equation around. We know that autism isn't one size fits all. And we know that sometimes you need resources and sometimes you just need to know that somebody is listening. We are. We know from the letters that we get from our viewers every day that we can and are making a difference. And frankly, that just makes us want to do more. In our hope and vision, we have so many things that we want to do at Autism Live, like providing a weekly global peer parent support group, educational programs that are designed specifically for children on the autism spectrum, fun and interactive social and vocational programs for our young adults, and resources and information for pregnant women and for women who are about to be pregnant so they can significantly lower their risk of having a child with more disabling aspects of autism. We can do this. We want you to know that we're fighting hard every day to stay on the air and to be a free resource for you, but we can't do it alone. Right now we're working hard to identify corporations and foundations and individuals who want to support us in this mission, who want to help us to help you. So join us. Watch the show, ask questions, sign up for our free newsletter, and share what you find here freely. It's important that you do. Autism Live, where knowledge is power and hope is our favorite four-letter word. It's heartfelt. We hope that you will participate with us. And by the way, if you are a business, a corporation, an individual, or a foundation, and you want to participate with us in this journey, in this mission of hope, let us know. Uh, we are really interested in talking to you because we believe that we have something here that can help so many people. I really got that very clearly at Stephanie's Day the other day for the people 
people who already are watching the show and came up and hugged us and we shared tears and moments of reality about the difference that having knowledge can make in an individual's life, whether they are a child or a teenager. Uh, you know, there were people who were already getting the message and had information about where they could go and and seeing them and sharing that moment of joy with them and then meeting other families who have not had not yet found a way to get in that information groove uh, and the look of despair on their faces when they first came up to us and the hugs that we shared before they walked away it just reminded me how much more work there is to be done and how important that it is and how privileged I feel to be on this journey with all of you because our our kids matter and I say kids because it doesn't matter whether they're six months old or they're 48 they're still our kids and they matter and there is help and there is hope and we just want to hook you up to those resources so that you can sleep at night knowing that you've done everything that you can and that these wonderful wonderful individuals get their best shot at their dreams and you know you you cannot convince me that our kids aren't capable we talk all the time about how capable our kids are and as they grow and as they learn they help us to break down the barriers with the rest of the world so that everyone will look at autism and see the gifts that are available and find ways to remove the disabling aspects of the disorder. It's what we're all working towards, that wonderful, wonderful progress. And it's available to all of our kids. So join us in this mission, be a part of it with us and share it, right? Okay, we are gonna go now to the A word, speaking of sharing it. This is a wonderful documentary that's being made here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders that follows a little boy after he was diagnosed at the age of two with his early intensive behavioral intervention to see how they're teaching him how to learn and how to grow and how to learn on his own even when they're not there teaching him. So take a look. This is The A Word. Whatever it is that we're doing. 
or giving him um, words like, you know, can I have like, one more minute playing with the blocks or playing with the tractor, just so he knows that he can ask for more time if he wants to. I just kind of want to nip it in the butt if I can. Okay, Jack, one more minute. Okay. Say, okay. 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 Seems like there's a lot of emotional involvement, and it's kind of hard not to it be involved is. because it you is. know you're affecting yeah. people's lives. Yeah, every day. Yeah, it it is it is hard, but it's also like rewarding too. Come here. Why you this? No, come here. Baba, look at this. Yay! Hi, Mister. Hi, Mister. Give me jumping. What is it? Jumping. Jumping. You're so smart. Give me jumping. Nice job. What is it? Jumping. Jumping. One more sticker. Are you ready? So when you're teaching a new label, you start off with just the just the field of one, so that it's isolated, and he knows that you know this is the only thing that we're looking for. So that when we throw them into the the ones that he already knows, or even with ones that he doesn't know, we can be able to see if he can discriminate that these pictures are jumping versus the other ones. So that's when the true test is, you know, does he know what the picture of jumping looks like? So then after this, I'm going to um, throw it in the field of unknown pictures to see if he can even discriminate. And after he knows that, then I'll throw it in with the actions that he's already mastered. Give me sleeping. Rock on! Good job! What is it? Sweet. Sweet. Nice. Alright, Jack. Let's go outside, okay? Outside. Alright. Let's go! Okay. Thanks, buddy. Aw, you are just always so cute. In part 21, we learned that Jack Riley requests regularly now. Because of this, they are now introducing a new skill that will build from what he has already learned. Waiting. First, it will only be for two seconds. And once he gets at the idea, they will increase the time slowly. Do you want an E or a Y? Wait. 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 No. Wait. Wait. No. Wait. 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 And there we are teaching waiting, which is an amazing skill for a child to have. Do you see how they were making sure that they, you know, it's very artificial at this point, very artificial that, you know, she's standing there and she's saying, wait, and put your hands down. And, you know, you're not going to do this forever, right? But he's getting the fact that when I wait, I get reinforced. So then it's going to slowly morph. And the great thing about the A word is that you can be watching the series to see how wait morphs so that they can just say wait and he waits and there's no discussion about it and there's no reinforcement even for it. Um, really, really remarkable. Uh, I wanted to take a second here. First of all, I want to remind you to be watching the A word and that you can use it as a tool and be watching. You can watch one and uh, move forward and 
see when they're working on waiting again. You can go backwards, forwards. You can watch it again and again. You can share it with somebody. Really remarkable. It's there for you on their very own YouTube page. It's entirely free and it's very inspirational, especially watching the parents and seeing how they deal with the emotions about what's happening with their child. It's one of the expected beautiful, unexpected beautiful things about the A word. And as a parent who's been through it, oh, I can relate so much because it's emotional. It's an emotional journey. You love that your child is making progress, but it's not easy. And they are very good at being vocal about all the different things about it, the joys, the highs, the ups, the downs, all of that. Okay, so I do want to go back, though, to a question, uh, and then in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, and he's going to be answering your questions as well. Um, but somebody wrote in the other day, my district is refusing to provide my son with an app he is already learning to use for uh, communication. They are only offering an app they already have for the district and have been trained on. Do you have any advice on this? Okay, this is a great question because it's one of those things that it comes under the heading of choosing your battles. What do you want to focus on? Our thing that we're talking about all this week because uh, there are a couple of different questions that I have for you. First of all, uh, I'm, I'm wondering it, what is the expense of the app because it makes a difference, right? If it's something that you can afford to buy the app for him or her, I think you were saying, yes, son, if you can afford to buy the app for him and say to the school, this is the mode in which he speaks, which means, you know, we're going to buy this for the school and we're, we're going to download it onto the device that you have and you guys need to get trained on it, but we're providing this method, it hopefully will take away part of the conversation. Because unfortunately, schools in this economy are so overtaxed, overstressed with economic issues. And I don't mean overtaxed in the sense of, you know, our government taxing them dollars. I mean, they don't have enough to go around. It's the reality. We don't like it. No one does, including the quality teachers that are there don't like it. And I'm sure the administrators, for that matter, would love it if they just had enough money to do all the things that they want to do. But they don't, which means that we as parents are left to advocate for our children. It's a very tough thing because sometimes it means advocating that our child gets something, which means somebody else doesn't get something, right? So. Is the app something that's an affordable reach for you to do or for you to get a sponsor to do? Because there are lots of places that offer grants for these kinds of things. I mean, right off the top of my head, ACT Today, Autism Care and Treatment Today, you can go to act-today.org. They give grants for these kinds of things. They give grants for iPads. They give grants for apps, uh, for other assisted technology. You know, you could apply to them and say, we need some help in paying for this app. Uh, if the school, upon hearing that you're willing to find funding for the app says, yeah, but we haven't trained on it and that costs us money, then it's time to escalate. Uh, there have been many cases recently talking about when children have a different mode of communicating. There was last year the little boy who learned sign language and he learned a different kind of sign language than what the teacher was trained on and they were urging the parents to change their method of sign language. You know, I, I 
while I think we can all put ourselves in that school's shoes for a moment and go, okay, I kind of see your point, not so much, right? Uh, these are our kids, they've struggled enough. And when it gets out into the public arena, usually people overwhelmingly say, okay, come on, you're supposed to be a place of education, so how about you try learning so that you can meet this child at least halfway? So you can try them in the court of public opinion and get the school to get it together and learn how to use an app, right? We can shame, I'll help you to shame them into getting it together and educating themselves. Um, now, if the app is too far out of your reach, again, I still think it's worthwhile to apply for a grant on behalf of the school for them to get the app because I don't think we should be looking at your child at this moment in time learning a whole other app to, in order to communicate. Maybe down the road that wouldn't be a bad thing for your child, but we're talking when everything else is moving on its own pistons. We should never, if a child has functional communication with one system, we cannot, it is unconscionable to even suggest taking that away in favor of something else and it doesn't matter what the reason is, right? Um, so, you know, don't let them bully you. But I do think, you know, what do we most want to focus? We want to get this child learning and communicating as much as possible. And if you have to fight with these people, it's going to suck some of your energy and some of your time to help your child communicate. So that's why I'm advocating if it's something that's within your, you know, if it's something you can afford, just buy it and tell them that they need to learn it. And if they won't, let me know, we'll cover it here. <laughs> we will, because that's not acceptable. Uh, that would be like saying to the child, you know, the wheelchair that you have doesn't fit on our ramp, so change your wheelchair. No one would say that, right? We're not, that doesn't happen, not on our watch. I'm, I'm right here with you on this. So uh, let us know. Let us know and let us know if you need some help trying to, because there's other, there's ACT today and there are several other funding sources that help with assistive technology and I'd be happy to hook you up with that. So write to me here on the show um, and let us know what happens. You know, these kinds of things keep me up afterwards wondering what the outcome was. So I love it when you guys tell me uh, this is what happened and my child's doing well and it all turned out okay. All right, we're going to take a break and when we come back, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox is here with us for Science B. And we're going to talk about perseveration and answer some of your questions. Stick with us. Hi, this is Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to Talk of Facts. Frequently asked questions and answers for the autism journey. Now this one is specifically for teens and adults with autism. I get this question all the time. What's new and exciting in the medical world uh, today for teens and adults with autism? So let's talk about them. TMS, Transmagnetic Stimulation Therapy, is something that is really exciting. Um, I met with the author, John Robeson, look me in the eye. He's a, a gentleman with Asperger's and something I hope all of our kids to strive and grow up and be just like him. He's amazing. He talked about TMS therapy and how he became more social aware. His smile was more natural and I definitely can better understand things around him in those social settings. Another really great treatment um, that we're seeing just a ton of research on in the last three years is cerebral folate autoimmunity. You know in the 90s they started putting folate in all of our different foods and products. Well some people they have found out and specifically a high percentage of children with autism don't process folate like what, how they should. 
go figure. They don't do it the way the books say it's going to happen. So cerebral folate autoimmunity is just a really exciting new therapeutic to work with your physician on and to look to see if your child is a candidate for that therapy. And another common thing that we're seeing in teens and adults, and we've talked about it before in Facts, is seizures. Very serious issue that needs to be looked at. Um, abnormal brain waves or brain patterns or epileptic activity in the brain definitely needs to be addressed in children with autism. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I know doctors that can go through and work and look at the, the child and perform a 24-hour EG. What they're finding with some of these anticonvulsant or seizure medications is kids start to make great gains in speech, cognition, sleep, learning, by treating any type of seizure activity. So, and the other issue is pandas, not the cute fuzzy bears that we see in the zoo, uh, but an issue that is happening with a lot of teens and adults on the spectrum, where you see a dramatic change in behaviors um, with these individuals, and often they have an inappropriate immune response. Taka has a great white paper, so you can go look up in the pandas definition, what to test and treat for and talk to your doctor about, but know that if you see an extreme swing in behavior with a child um, that goes from one place to a very negative place, we're seeing a lot of uh, teens positively responding to treatments for pandas. Uh, and the last tr treatment I wanted to talk about, um, and I'm super excited about, and this happens to not just work with younger kids on the autism spectrum, but also older children on the spectrum, teens and adults, it's called mendability. Um, and a great study just came out of UCI in May 2013 about a multi-sensory approach uh, for individuals with autism. The whole premise behind the therapy uh, is very simple, making it a sensory rich environment so neural connections can make new pathways or at least connect in that individual. So kids with sensory issues, uh, auditory listening issues, uh, speech issues, they seem to really just respond to mendability and uh, I was so excited to see that new research, more research is being done on it and the beautiful, beautiful part about mendability is it's something parents can do on their own, administer with their child and be uh, connected to their kid as partners in the autism journey. Don't forget in any therapy or medical intervention to work with your physician and to do proper testing to know what your child needs and what treatments to pursue under a physician's care. So there's so many new things I could go on for hours about new treatments and excitement, but there's the top ones that just have me so geeked here. But that's another talk of fact. Thanks for joining me and we'll see you next time and on Real Journey, Real Questions and Answers to help your autism journey. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're so thrilled and excited because we have with us here in the studio right now, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. We call this Science Beat with Dr. Tarbox. Thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure. We want to remind everybody that Dr. Tarbox is the Head of Research and Development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, and you are also the Director of the Autism Research Group, an organization that does research that is meaningful and important to families that are dealing with autism now. Thank you. Um, so really, really incredible 
people. We're always thrilled when you're here. We wanted to start today by talking to you about perseveration. Sure. We've had several viewers writing about perseveration, and it it seems like it's one of those things that some of our kids participate in. What maybe we should start with a definition of what perseveration and perseverative behavior, and believe me, that's a mouthful, uh, is. Well, great. Thanks for putting me on the spot. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure if there really is. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with any official definitions. Okay. But, but basically what it looks like is um, individuals who are interested in the same topic or the same theme or the same character or the same movie or toy um, over and over and over, and, um, and they persevere yeah. in that, that's where perseverative comes from, right. persevere in that interest um, to the detriment, uh, to the extent that it gets in the way of other aspects of their daily life is, is I think, one way to sum it up. Some of the things that I think of in my mind, because I'm so visual, I think of like when the record, get the old record with the needle, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not, not the best reference for those of you who are younger, but a record could get stuck in one groove and play mm -hmm. over and over again. And the other thing that somebody told me once is that you know how when people fall in love and there's that yeah. there's that slice of time right. when that's, that's all, all that's about. happening for yeah. them yeah. Um, that sometimes our kids it's like that that mm -hmm. sort of you know mm -hmm. it's all about whatever this thing is exactly. which is also like being stuck but they don't move out of it uh, later on so I think that what I'm hearing from a lot of parents and I've experienced this myself is that you look at that and it's frustrating right it, it bugs you on a level that isn't human right <laughs> right yeah, where you yeah. go this is not rational how badly I'm being bugged right. by the fact that I can't get my child so out of this it's yeah. just like because you feel helpless and hopeless right. and that's really the crux of it that we don't know is this going to end and how to make that quicker to get to the end right right and so I would I would suggest that a healthy view of uh, perseveration or perseverative behavior is not that it's a bad behavior that you want to go away although okay. that is your first reaction right as a parent oh, yeah. and as a family member basically you just want you, you basically want to say quit it cut it out right and um, we have and we've we have. tried that we try that and that didn't How's work that by the way you, right? it did not work doesn't work <laughs> no uh, so that's one view that you can view it as uh, a bad behavior that you want to go away um, but another uh, perspective that you can have also is that your child or your family member your client or your student whoever it is um, just has a really extreme interest in this and has an overall pattern of having extreme interests in stuff generally. Okay. okay. So some people have a lot of variability in their interests, right? Yeah. And they try new things all the time, new foods all the time, new music all the time, new hobbies all the time, right? And others, not so much. And they really stick with one particular um, hobby or interest or food or, or, or what have you. Um, so kids who have a lot of perseveration are, are like the former, or sorry, like the latter, they, where they're really interested in one thing over and over. Now, in some ways, that's a strength. I mean, most yeah. people who are um, really high-level performers in whatever they do, whether it's a star athlete, a star computer programmer, a star musician, they don't do a lot of different stuff. They do that one thing, and they do it to the extreme, and they do it perfectly, almost. They become masters. They become masters, right? So let's just be reasonable here and take out the value judgments for a second and sit back and say, well, my, maybe my kid's kind of a master at loving Thomas the Train or whatever it is, okay? Uh -huh. And that really is what it is for him. I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes, that's what it's about. It's not a bad thing for him. It's just something he really, really loves, okay? So that's a fact. You can't take that away. That's going to stay. You can't make it go away. But what you can do then is say, okay, we're going to accept that <laughs> that's kind of who he is and that's yeah. what he loves. 
and, not but, and uh -huh. we're going to provide him with tools to do other things too so that that one love or that one perseveration doesn't interfere with everything else in his life. Thank God for you. <laughs> Honestly, because that puts it in a whole other light where as a parent, you, you look at it. I love this idea of taking rid of, getting rid of the value judgment because looking at it as a plus, looking at it as something, and, and I love the idea of the and, not the but. Right. That's really what life incredible. is about. It's about and. It's not, it's, you know, if you can make everything be the way you want it to be, then fine. We'd say, but, 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 it has to be my way. Right. But we can't. It's impossible. So the only thing we can do is take what we have and make the best out of it by making room for actions and behaviors that are going to have a valued outcome, you know. So helping your child, yeah, okay, you're not going to get rid of Thomas the Tank Engine or whatever it is. You're not going to get rid of that, but you are going to help him learn how to make room for other things too and pursue okay. other activities too. And by the way, you're not going to get rid of that overall pattern of he's really interested in stuff and he really loves things and he wants to keep doing them. But we can try to channel that towards right. more, um, you know, more productive um, um, outlets in addition to the stuff he's already interested in. And I, and I want to point out for people who are out there who are going, well, that's great if your child's interested in Thomas the Train. My child's interested in opening and closing the door. Right. Um, and how do I make that functional? And I, I want to encourage you to watch. Uh, we did, there was a, a series that we were playing that we sometimes still play called Mission Possible. And there was a little boy, Justin Mariquin. And when he started his early intervention, he was obsessed with opening and closing doors. They have video of him that all he would do is open and close the door. His mom, Laura Mariquin, would talk about getting on an elevator and how it would take four of them to get him on or off of an elevator because all he would want to do is stand there and watch the doors. They couldn't get him on, couldn't get him off, uh, you know, to the point where she was in tears. Right. And when you see Justin Mariquin now, after go going through early intensive behavioral intervention, good quality ABA therapy, and he is, you can't tell that this child ever had autism. He is a passionate little boy though, plays soccer, and has mastered all these, you know, he has very specific interests. Mm -hmm. He's an athlete and he is excited about all these, he, that passion that he had for opening and closing the doors is now in things that are gonna serve him well his whole life. I love that, it's such, it's such a great example. So, but do watch that, Justin Mariquin and Mission Possible, and for those of you who are out there who are thinking, yeah, well, my kid, you know, how are we gonna make this function there's a perfect example of what quality ABA therapy can do. It's amazing. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to have Dr. Tarbox answer some of the questions that you guys have written in. Uh, we're going to get through as many of them as we can. We're, there's no way we're going to get through all of them today, but stick with us. We're going to be right back. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. 
Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here live in the studio with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He's the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and also the director of the Autism Research Group. If you haven't been to their website, really want to encourage you to go there and check it out, uh, do a survey. It's, it's an amazing, amazing site and you want to participate, I guarantee you. But right now, Dr. Tarbox is going to be answering some of the questions that you guys have written in. We had a question come in this morning. Good morning. My son's behavior therapist wants us to ignore our son's property damage hitting walls because he is doing it for negative attention. We are, but our dogs go crazy with high-pitched barking when he bangs on the wall. Could they be reinforcing this behavior? I don't want to give them away and she makes a sad face and says, please help. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes it, it can be other little kids, siblings, but here it's even worse, the dogs. Right. That's extremely interesting. I've never heard... Uh, I've never heard of this example before, but I, okay. I, I'm very interested in it. Um, I love this. Yeah, so uh, really interesting. Um, the very first thing you might do, if uh, just to kind of get a hunch, this wouldn't be proof one way or the other, but is um, the first thing is oftentimes when a kid engages in attention-maintained behavior, he's doing you know some kind of misbehavior in order to get somebody's attention. He does the behavior and then he orients to the person whose attention he wants, okay? And that's not proof that it's attention maintained, but that's one little shred of evidence. So okay. if he hits the wall and then looks over at the dog, that's some evidence that maybe you're on to something. Um, or, and or if the dogs are in some other room of the house and he hits the wall and then he hears the barking uh -huh. and he orients towards where the noise of the barking is coming from and not in the other direction, again, that's some evidence that maybe you're onto something and that the dog's barking is, is reinforcement for the, for the punching the wall. Well, and, and also, is it possible that when the dogs bark, then mom or dad goes and says to the dogs, be quiet, and that could be the reinforcement, really mom or dad too. talking to the dog. Because I really would be going, point. shut up. That's a really you know? good point. And yeah. my kid would enjoy that. Yeah, and so yeah, and depending on the verbal level of your of your child, and of course we don't know from your question, but right. if he's able to say to himself, ha ha, I made mom and dad upset and I made them yell at the dogs, then that's a definite possible source of reinforcement. Okay. These are all just hypotheses, we don't really know. Right. Um, if you really want to know for sure, you could ask your um, behavior analyst on your child's team to do a systematic assessment where in one condition, when he punches the wall, the dogs are available and they bark. In another condition, maybe someone takes the dogs for a walk, and your child doesn't know that. Uh, and he, so, but when he punches the walls, the dogs don't bark, and you should actually be able to see a difference in the rate of punching the walls okay. if that's the reason why the kid is punching the walls is to okay. get the dogs to bark. Um, so, that, I mean, that would be an option. I'm not sure that you'd take the time to really do that, but but you could do that. But let's assume the worst case scenario that the dogs are reinforcing the behavior. She doesn't need to get rid of the dogs. Just she might need to get rid of the dogs for a short period of time, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe have a family member take them for a short period of time until the behavior decreases. Um, you know, uh, what else could we do? Maybe pad the walls in the area where he punches them the most so that it just doesn't make as much noise. Right. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of other options. We don't, you know, um, but yeah, I would say definitely don't get rid of the dogs if there's any other, Doggy any other way care. to do it. Maybe for a short maybe period of time bit, or, yeah. or with a family member because it doesn't take that long if you're not getting the reinforcement.
reinforcement for it to change. Right, right. Maybe uh, maybe put the dog. I mean, if if the if your child is mostly in the back of the house, maybe have the dog in the front of the house so that the volume of the barking is less uh, and the volume of the wall punching is less for the dogs to hear. Uh, I would try anything like that first before. And also on the other end, not that you really want to take on another thing, but we we have a dog, uh, a behaviorist for our dog, um, and there are you can get somebody to train your dog so that they don't react when he bangs on the wall too. That's, That's a really good point. Another option. And another option that we forgot, the rule number one, anytime anyone calls in about challenging behavior, is what are we talking about for the replacement behavior? That's the most important oh, thing. Oh, so important. So if your dog wants the, or if, I'm sorry, if your child wants the dog's reaction, then we need to make sure that your child has a behavior that he can do that's appropriate that gets the dog's attention immediately and frequently. So if he's vocal, teach him to ask for the dog, say dog or play with dogs, whatever. If he's non-vocal, it could be a, a sign language, a modified sign. It could be a picture icon of playing with the dog that he hands over. But whatever it is, when he does that alternative behavior, he needs to have immediate access to the dogs, even if it's only for a, a minute, playing with the dogs and getting the dogs, and then go back, dog, put the dogs back where they go and get back to whatever else you're doing. But if he has another way that's more appropriate to get the dog's attention, rather than punching the wall, he'll do it. It'll just take some, some yeah. training, you know. Well, and for that matter, the replacement behavior for the dogs. My dog barks anytime we pull out the vacuum cleaner, and so now I feed her almonds when my husband vacuums so that she doesn't bark. If she's happy to eat the almonds, that's better. But every time he gets out the vacuum cleaner, she comes to me now and wants to be fed <laughs> almonds. So maybe there's something that when your child starts banging on the wall, you you know, you've got sausage or whatever, that the dogs aren't barking and you're feeding them sausage. Mm -hmm. There are ways to do this. Yeah, you've got, you got to get creative and be patient. Even yes. though it's challenging uh, to, to be patient. But do me a favor and let us know what you end up doing, what ends up happening. If you figure out what the function of the behavior is, we'd love to know that. Uh, but I'm glad that you're concerned about your doggies and not getting rid of them, but still wanting to change your child's behavior. Okay, uh, next one that we have, my son's behavior is different with each therapist. He can be great with one and be aggressive and defiant with another. What's going on? And thank you. Right, and so this is, you know, we actually see this a lot uh, in ABA programs and, and other types of therapy programs. Um, there's a lot of different sources for, for why this could be the case, a lot of different causes. One is just straight up uh, inconsistency between the therapists. So if one therapist is, is implementing the behavior intervention plan consistently, and the behavior intervention plan works, then your child's challenging behavior will decrease, right? And they'll learn to interact with that therapist in a more appropriate way and have fun, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas if another therapist is implementing that behavior intervention plan, but only sometimes, so sometimes they give in to the behavior, sometimes they don't, sometimes they actually deliver the rewards when they're supposed to, and sometimes they forget to, yeah. uh, kids pick up on this stuff, right? They're not dumb. And so kids will learn, oh, it's therapist A instead of therapist B, I can get away with more tantrums or whatever it is when I'm with him. So that's one possibility. So I would ask uh, you to ask your supervisor to just check up on consistency in, in the behavior intervention plan. That's a normal thing that all ABA supervisors are supposed to be doing anyway, so it can't hurt to give a little reminder. Um, another possible source of difference, though, is in the rapport that the therapist builds with the child. So aside from everything that's written into behavior intervention plans and specific treatment programs, um, there's a lot of sort of art in, in, in that goes into how we interact with kids uh, when we're acting as therapist and it's about making that relationship fun and rewarding for both sides um, and it's not easy and some therapists really don't click with some kids yeah. that's not an excuse it's not acceptable it needs to be worked on it needs to be improved but that could be that could be a source of the problem as well uh, and if that's the case honestly the only way that you can get better at that is through the supervisor um, observing the therapist who's having a tough time 
and just giving honest feedback, you know, and jumping in and demonstrating, look, here, how about if you do it a little bit more like this? So we're still making the same requests, we're still delivering the same instructions and the same reinforcers, but there's different ways to do it. It's about facial expression, tone of voice, smiling, um, but it's different from kid to kid, right? There's no one right way to do it. It's just that you have to do it in a way that makes your kid happy and have fun when interacting with that therapist. Great, great advice. I'm going to move on to the next question. Uh, my grandson, who is now turned 17, needs real help. He cannot socialize or mingle in a normal manner. He lives in his own world or dream world. He goes through stages of total focus on one thing, stages that last a year or even more devoted on one thing. Age of three, it was train tracks or toy cars. Uh, age 11, it was mince pies. Age 14, it was humming while walking around objects or family. Age 15 and onward, it is singing in his own room. Now he at puberty age has focused on a girl and is basically stalking her. Mm. The police have handed him a restraining order. He could be arrested if he doesn't leave her alone. He wouldn't even realize. He has been uh, he has been diagnosed for depression and on medication for that, but not getting any help for his autism. What can I do to find real help? Great, yeah, that's um, that sounds like a, a pretty tough uh, situation for the parents Very and, and for the the teenager. Yeah, so um, this actually meshes very well with the perseveration question that yes. we started the the segment with, um, and that's about. Um, helping your child open up room for doing other things. In addition to the thing that he's obsessed with, doing some thing, some other things too. Um, and so that would be uh, my focus, but of course it's not gonna be a one person show. I think that she probably should seek out the help of um, behavior analysts who are trained to work with older, higher functioning folks. They have to be experts in working with teenagers um, who are verbal and, you know, um, not just sort of touch your nose type stuff, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, but those people exist out there. Unfortunately, they're fewer and, and, and farther between, um, but uh, they do exist out there. So I'd say get that help first. And then what they're going to work on, if they are good, is um, increasing flexibility uh, with, with uh, uh, her son and increasing other hobbies. So you can't tell someone to not care about the things they, they care about, right. but you can give them additional things to care about. Okay, really important stuff. And of course, uh, we, we hear this all the time that people think that at past a certain age, if they know about ABA, they think past a certain age that it's of no use to them. Right. And this couldn't be more wrong. That's correct, yeah. Um, so I want to encourage you, I don't know where in the world you are, where your grandson is, but one of the first places you can go is to www.centerforautism.com click on the locations tab to see if you're close to an office because card does have a program mm -hmm. for older kids and adults mm -hmm. uh, where you can get that kind of help now if you see that you're not close to a location they may want to go to bacb.com absolutely and look put your zip code in look for a provider unfortunately it's not going to tell you who works with autism and it's not right. going to tell you who works with adults right. and teenagers on the autism spectrum but you know depending on where you live, if you live near uh, a metropolitan area, you know, you might have 200 people to choose from or you might right. have three. And what you can do is you can send that person a message through the BACB yes. website. So if you type up a brief description of what your child's situation is or your son's situation is and, and what you need help with, you, you literally could just copy and paste that and you could send messages to 50 or 100 different people through the website yeah. and it doesn't matter that you're sending messages to too many. Maybe you'll get a good response back from two or three that are right. in your neighborhood and uh, and you can get the conversation going. And in all likelihood, you know, as I said, we don't know where you are. I'm assuming that you're in the United States.
states and I shouldn't, but please, if, if you're watching, write into us and tell us where you are. Um, but in all likelihood, you have insurance funding for this treatment. Um, and, and if you have questions about how you make that happen, write into us and, and I'd be happy to talk to you about how you make that happen. But you need some help and support. Absolutely. And another uh, bright side of the situation is that, you know, if, if your son were a three-year-old severely affected by autism, they would need 40 hours a week for two or more years one-to-one, -one, right? But if we're talking about a 17-year-old who has a lot of great skills and just needs some help expanding their social horizon and expanding their hobbies and, and decreasing obsessing on specific topics, that's not going to require 40 hours a week. I mean, you can get a lot of good work done if you know what you're doing in, you know, a few hours a week right. and, and not forever. It's not something you'd have to work on forever. So, so you know, even if they don't have uh, insurance funding for it, um, there's there's other ways to get funding for it. And even if you have to private pay, it, you know, the, it, it won't it, be it's that much. not going to be that much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really important. And not only will it help with this instance of, of perseverating about the, the girl, but it will help with all the other things that you were talking about, too, about him isolating and being in his his room exactly increase right. the quality of his life exactly right yeah the goal is to is to is to help strengthen the ability to have a variety of interests in general which he will then carry that ability with him through the rest of his life yeah right give him some uh, skills some some flexibility that will then will will then benefit him forever thank you so much for writing into us and please let us know what happens we're going to take a short break and then come back to have dr Tar tarbox answer more of your questions stick with us Learn the early signs of autism today, because an early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Hey, I made your favorite. With real egg noodles and bite-sized chicken, Campbell's chicken noodle soup is the one kids love. Mm-mm, good. Come and get this on. Thanks. Stream your favorite content when you want. AT&T. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, and also the director of the Autism Research Group. He is answering your questions right now. I want to move uh, forward with the next one. Um, 
Okay, so uh, this person says, hi, my son is four, and I see now they're connected. Uh, seems to keep going back and forth. One week he's using functional speech, the next week scripting and delayed echoing. Uh, he's been using single words before, two and two to three words before, three, but his, before three, but his communication is not taking off, and she wants to know, is that normal? And she goes on to say that um, my ABA has been very frustrating because it's been months. We had to switch our BCBA because they weren't taking data. Okay. We are still completing the assessment. I feel that our window for recovery has closed. The reality of how the ABA works with unqualified assistance has been very frustrating. Please help and any advice. So what I'm gleaning from this is that you were working with somebody, the BCBA wasn't taking data. We talk about this all the time on the show, how essential it is that you're taking data, that you're not going to see the progress right. if you're not taking the data. So they're switching providers and that it's been more than a little bumpy getting qualified people in. Right. But the frustration of that he's for, and I think every parent that's out there either feels like the window is closing or that it already closed. Right, absolutely. And I would say the first thing to emphasize is um, it's great that you have your sights set on recovery, but the most important thing to emphasize is maximum outcome for my child possible, right? Optimize my child's learning potential in the short amount of time that we have him in uh, intensive intervention, right? Yeah. So recovery is great. If you can get recovery, that's awesome. But even if you can't get recovery, you're gonna maximize your child's learning potential and he's going to be more independent and, and happier and more power, able to live a more powerful life because of the skills that he's building. So you can worry about recovery and you're gonna because that's normal right. and everyone's gonna. You can't escape from that. And while you worry about recovery, focus on what you can do today to maximize uh, maximize your child's potential. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you're on the right track. Um, without knowing more about the case, if you know if your behavior analysts were not collecting data, it's. It, I don't even know what to say about that. It's, yeah. it's such a fundamental piece of what we do that that's really a huge red flag. So it sounds like they probably made, again, without knowing anything about this case, they probably made the right choice of, of moving on to maybe a, a better quality uh, provider, hopefully. Okay, and then how about her saying that he was using single words before two and then two that's to great. three words before three, but his communication is not taken off. Is that normal? Yeah, and again, with you know, there, there, there's no such thing as normal, right? In right. autism, if you met one kid, you met one kid, right? So, um, so we don't know if that's normal. But I will say that if if you had a low quality provider, then it's very likely, it's almost for sure, that your child was making less progress than he could have with a better quality provider. So if you're getting onto a better quality provider, then that means you're, it's possible that your child could make better progress than he has made up till now. Yeah. You know? um, but it's a great sign. If he's already able to do two to three word um, requests and statements, that's great. That's the building blocks of human vocal language. And so there's definitely more progress that can be made. I mean, four years old is not too late yeah. at all to make really meaningful progress. Yeah, and I, and I love what Dr. Tarbach said about, you know, it's great to set your sight on recovery, but to hone that into we're going to make as much progress as we can. And it might right. seem like it's just like a fine distinction. That's what I want to say. But the reality is, is that kicks us into motion every day. That's right. The recovery thing sometimes seems so far away that it's hard to pack your bags to go there. 
Right. But if you're saying, I'm going to maximize what happens with him, then it kicks you into motion every single day. What can I do today? And I can't even imagine what you've gone through with switching uh, BCBAs and how difficult that was and, and all the emotions that you felt through that. But the reality is, is that, you know, Every day you have opportunities, and and you know we talk about if if you're having trouble uh, getting somebody to come there as much as you want to, that's qualified enough, get qualified yourself. Uh, empower empower yourself. You know I'm getting ready to do the RBT training. Do the RBT training with me. Uh, let's be the best possible parents that we can be. I I still somewhere have the sign that hung in our house that uh, I always somebody had said this to me and then I took it and ran with it. That you're always going to have your team is only going to be as good as the weakest member on your team and I am not going to be the weakest person on my son's team. I love you know that. it's just like that's great. I, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> oh no, no, we had that fantastic. sign in our house. I am not going to be the weakest person on my son's team. And, you know, maybe that means you need to be the leader on your child's team. And, you know, I hope for you that the new BCBA you're working with is somebody who's awesome and who's going to be the leader on your team. But if they're not, don't let that stop you. Uh, right. You know, you be the leader on the team because obviously you have mad skills already because you get it on so many different levels. I, you know what I realized, though? We didn't answer one part of the question. It's a okay. real simple question, which is, does my son still have a chance for recovery? Yeah. Yeah. four with two to three word requests and the answer is yes there yeah. is still a chance and the very you know the truth of the matter is we don't know what the chances are I mean yeah. all the best scientific experts in the world still can't tell you even if your child was only two starting a top quality program still can't tell you is your child gonna reach full recovery or not yeah. or is he just gonna make a ton of progress that really helps his life I mean so the, the honest answer is we don't know yeah but, but is there a chance yeah there is still a chance yeah and is it worth it yeah absolutely it's worth it worth it worth it and, and frankly even if there wasn't a chance yeah. would it be worth it to to give my kid the, the very best shot at maximizing potential possible? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How many of us have been told uh, throughout the years, oh, your child is never going to do this, your child, right. and, and a lot of us just choose not to listen to that malarkey because they don't know us and they don't know our kids. And, and, and where we'll would our ahead. kids be at if we yes. actually listened to them? Oh, you know? my goodness. I get a chill down my spine when I think about some of the things people told me that my child couldn't, couldn't do, and if I had listened to them, uh, I could, I please, I would never be able to sleep. I have enough trouble now. <laughs> Right? Okay. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, my son just turned four. He still has communication, social, and attention delays. I'm wondering, he does copy kids' behaviors a lot. What do you recommend in terms of him going to a specialized school, typical school, part-time school, 40 hours of ABA at home, and no school? Right now, he is attending a specialized program with a BCBA overseeing the program, but no one-on-one -on -one therapy. Uh, we just have gotten approval for 25 hours of ABA. Correct. So just turn for uh, communication, social, and attention delays. What would we recommend? Um, he has 25 hours of ABA and the potential to go to a specialized school, typical school, part-time school, or just uh, right. worked. And she puts it as an option there to do 40 hours of ABA at home, which you know shows me that even though you've only gotten funding for 25, you're willing to work that out. So what what would you say, Dr. Tarbox? Yeah, so that's a very tough call, and we always have to remind our viewers that we can't give specific recommendations because we really don't know enough about your, your yes, child's case. Yes, it would be a disservice but, to give child-specific advice. Yeah, but, but let's, let's go over some general recommendations. Are there four-year-olds who really should get 40 hours a week, one-on-one -on -one in home, one-on-one -on -one at home still? Yeah, there are some kids out there. Are there lots of four-year-olds, though, who have basic foundational skills to where they could get maybe 25 hours a week, one-on-one -on -one at home, and then spend another you know 10 or 20 hours a week um, in a more 
mainstream setting or with other kids where they're working on generalizing those skills, yeah. yes, that also exists. So yes. we don't, I mean, we can't place your child in one of those groups or one of the others. But the, the, the key um, point to consider is, does my child have the foundational skills uh, where he is ready to now learn from others? And she's saying he copies others. I'm not, actually not sure if she's saying that as a good thing or a bad thing, but the ability to copy others is critical to it's social learning. Good. It's, it's really, really good. important. Um, and so if he's able to do that, then that means if you put him in a setting with other peers who are doing good behaviors, socializing with each other, being nice to each other, sharing, turn-taking, and all that, if he's able to imitate, then that's great. Then that, that might be a place where you can facilitate him imitating some of those good behaviors. But it's not just a matter of throw him in and hope that it works. Um, the ABA provider should actually help uh, oversee that process and to make sure that he's actually generalizing what he's learning in the one-on-one -on -one yeah. and that it's not just sort of sink or swim. Well, and, and you say here that he's attending a specialized program that you have a BCBA overseeing the program but there's no one-on-one -on -one. but I, my question to you is do you feel a rapport with this BCBA do you feel like this BCBA is somebody who's really good with, and understands your child because maybe they're the person to go to and have a conversation right Absolutely. I would never tell you to solely listen to any one person because people right. have people have different filters and they have different uh, motivating things happening for them, right? But to at least hear their opinion about what they think would work for your child and filter that with your gut to see what you think. But if it's a good program and you've got 25 hours at home one-to-one, -one, uh, you know, that has the potential to be really, really amazing. But again, you know, do you feel like what's happening there at school is good and you and, have rapport? And does the BCBA at school actually know your child? Because what a lot of school districts do is they only have funding to hire one BCBA for the entire district and so that BCBA can spend maybe one hour a month thinking about your child. If that's yeah. the case, honestly, they don't have enough time to really be able to give you meaningful recommendations. So it would be reasonable to just ask them, how many kids do you oversee as part of your job? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and how much has that uh, person actually observed your individual child? Right. Uh, we, we had, uh, <laughs> when, when my child went to school, I have to be very careful what I say here. When my child went to school, he went with a card aid to begin with, and that was luscious beyond luscious, right? But the school kept making the argument that they wanted to have their aid, um, their aid. Uh, and they, and my aid could, the card aid could train their aid and all these concessions that they were going to make for me. Uh, and I wanted a BCBA who understood what he was doing uh, and asked for them to have the BCBA come in and observe him. It didn't quite work out uh, how the BCBA said and how um, uh, how how he was actually observed. I have to be very careful what I say. But be careful that you understand and that you know how much they actually eyes on observe your child. Um, that sometimes it's not quite what you've been led to believe. Uh, so cautionary tale there. We are so out of time. But I thank you so much for being here and always for being able to pick your beautiful brain because you know so many things that help us on this journey. I want to encourage people to go to Autism Research Group. What is the website? AutismResearchGroup.org. There we go. Uh, check it out because they've got wonderful things there for you and support them because they're doing wonderful, wonderful work that is thank useful you. to us. Uh, can't say enough about that. I want to remind you that next week we're only 
here on Tuesday, and on Tuesday we've got a really incredible guest for you. Uh, it is the founder of a new website called The Mighty, and I just got chills saying it, you guys, because it's a really amazing, amazing site that focuses on stories that are just about people overcoming challenges. You're going to love to see, speak to this gentleman. We're totally out of time. Uh, we will see you on Tuesday. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.